songs. Again, that was written by Keith uh, Getty. Keith and Kristen are uh, well known for uh, their hymn writing and being very instrumental in our current culture in writing uh, songs of faith. And Christ Alone is their probably most well-known song. And uh, the reason I'm telling you that this morning is we are finalizing an opportunity to have the Gettys here with us. Uh, they are going to, we are planning on having them at the latter part of the month uh, during Missions Month, which is October. And so as of right now, we're f- still, again, finalizing all the details about October the 28th, which is a Friday evening. We are planning to have the Gettys here with us. And uh, we will be offering tickets for that, and we'll make more information known about how you can get tickets and be a part of that. Uh, but we are excited about the opportunity. This is our, I think, second time uh, trying to work out an opportunity to have them here, and uh, we are excited to get them. Uh, and again, they are human beings. They are flesh and blood, just like you and me, uh, but they have been, again, profoundly used by the Lord in our current culture. In fact, I was talking to uh, one of the gentlemen on the Gettys team this past week, and the song that we just sang is kind of the theme song for what they're really uh, using in this fall season that they're going to be hitting different churches in different areas as he said, that song was written um, right around the time that COVID was becoming such a problem. And uh, he was just talking about the encouragement that that song had been to so many people uh, during that period of time. So their heart is ministry, is my point in that. And so we're excited to get the opportunity to, Lord willing, have them on the 28th. We'll have that firmed up this week. We'll get more details out to you um, in the coming weeks. But I do want to just also remind you, October is Missions Month, and we are very excited about the lineup of speakers that we have this year, Um, one of which um, I cannot name because we're being recorded right now, Um, but we are uh, very excited about some of the folks that are going to be joining us, and you're going to be challenged. Um, I pray that uh, you'll see just what's going on in the world today in the field of missions, so we're excited um, about that. I also wanted to mention that coming up on Wednesday night, August the 24th, um, I'll be offering a new members class, a prospective members class. So if you have been visiting Grace Baptist Church and you're thinking about becoming a member or you would like more information about membership, that is a Wednesday evening. Again, we'll start at 6 o'clock and that will run until 7.30. That'll be August 24th and we'll get more details out to you about that next week as well. Uh, Before we look into scripture, I do want to welcome those of you that are perhaps our first-time guests this morning. If this is your first time here at Grace, we are thankful to have you be with us today. I hope that you've already felt welcomed and at home here. And uh, if you would like more information about the church, or more importantly, if we can have the opportunity to follow up with you, you can use our guest card. It's actually a digital card, and there's a QR code that's on a little piece of cardboard in front of you in the pew. Looks like the one on the screen behind me. You can scan that, and it'll take you to a place where you can just share some information about yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, and then once again, if you have other questions that you would like like answered, you can do uh, access that uh, card and get send those to us. If you want more information about some of the ministries that have been offered today, the jail ministry and others, you can use the same card, and you can email us, and we'll be glad to get back to you concerning the questions that you have about those ministries. We are, in a couple of weeks, going to be starting a new series, but over the next two weeks, we are going to start kind of a mini-series, if you will, and uh, we are actually going to be studying Ephesians chapter 6 together, and particularly, we are going to be looking at the armor of God over the next two weeks, and this morning, we'll look at um, some verses leading up to that, 
And uh, so this morning, that's where we're going to be in our text. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verse 10 through down through verse 13. Let's go ahead and read those together, if you can find your spot. Ephesians 6, verse number 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity and privilege that I have to share this text this morning. And God, I pray that as we study this week and next week, this very important chapter, that you would uh, lay it upon our hearts to see the truths here that we need to know and learn and understand and apply. So God, I ask that you would quiet our hearts today as we study these, these verses together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was praying about coming to the end of the study on the life of David and praying about what we would be studying next. And I will tell you that just kind of in my own personal devotion life, just my own reading of Scripture, I had been reading Ephesians chapter 6 um, again and again and again. Particularly the verses that we just read down through the end of the chapter. And I'll tell you why. I don't know about you, but I'm tired emotionally and spiritually from the bombardment that we receive by the culture in which we live. I, I will sincerely tell you, I listen, maybe I take in too much information at times, but I have two or three podcasts that I listen to each morning. I, I read the news each morning. I read all kinds, you know, blogs that I get sent. I read emails that I get. And in the mornings, I'm doing my thing, getting ready for the day, and I have a little speaker that sits on the window playing, again, the podcast that I listen to in the morning. It's some days all I can do to not pick up that speaker and throw it through the window. It's getting old. The debauchery in our culture that is consistently being celebrated is concerning. It's concerning not only because, I guess on the one hand, we shouldn't be shocked that the world is acting like the world. We, we shouldn't be shocked that unbelievers are going to promote what God hates. That shouldn't surprise us. What is concerning is the number of believers, or at least claiming to be believers, are buying in to the nonsense that our culture is jamming down our throats. It's scary out there. And you know what? It was scary out there in Paul's day, too. And so the Apostle Paul, as he is bringing this letter of Ephesians to an end, he has some very pointed words for us as believers. And if you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians, let me just summarize it for you over the next couple, three minutes as we introduce this text. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, 
what we have is a very real detailed description of what a true Christian looks like, of what a true believer is. A believer isn't somebody who does good works. A believer isn't somebody who earns their way to heaven. A believer is a person who recognizes they are a hopeless sinner who can repent of their sin and by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again and experience new life in Christ. Amen to that, brother. That's right. In verses, the next chapter, verse, uh, chapter 4 rather, through, through chapter 6, verse 9, the Apostle Paul explains for us the characteristics of what a new life in Christ looks like, of how we are to live. In the closing portions of Ephesians, you notice the very first word of verse 10 is, finally, Okay, finally, the closing portion of this letter, the Apostle Paul is going to give us the context in which the spiritual life of the Christian is lived out. Everything that Paul has written in the book of Ephesians is leading up to this conclusion. Every directive that the Apostle Paul has given is carried out in a particular context. And the context is a warfare context. It is a spiritual war. In fact, if you just think about the immediate context of what Paul had been talking about in verse 1 of chapter 6 down through verse 9 in the book of Ephesians is one of the contexts in which this spiritual battle takes place is in your home and in my home. And that's why families today are being ripped apart. Why? It's a spiritual battle. Those of you with kids under the age of 20 are sitting here looking at your, at your kids thinking, Lord, help them. The world that we grew up in, the world that they are going to grow up in is radically different. It's scary out there. How are they going to manage? How are they going to survive? What are they going to do? Well, the, only, the spiritual battle isn't only fought within our homes, it is also fought within our churches. That churches today, from pulpits across this wonderful nation in which we live, you're going to hear some pastors that will stand up, and instead of standing against what the culture is celebrating, they're going to celebrate right along. There's a spiritual battle in the church, spiritual battle in pulpits. And in case you are profoundly asleep today, there is a spiritual battle being fought in our culture. And it's not new, but it's gotten really scary out there. And when you hear things that people say on the news with a straight face, that it's truth, and this is the way the world is, and you're looking at the Bible say, that just doesn't add up. Gender confusion? God made male and female. And folks, this isn't a message on that necessarily, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. I could sit here all day and list things that make my head explode. 
But we need to understand something. This isn't a picnic. It's not a walk in the park. It's not a day at the beach. Whatever metaphor works for you. This isn't kids play. It's war. It's spiritual war. For your heart and for my heart and for the heart of our children. And so Paul says, you better be ready because it is scary out there. By the way, Paul says this in Ephesians. You don't need to turn to all these verses. I'm just laying the groundwork for what he's going to tell us. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, you're welcome to follow along, but if you can't keep up, that's fine too. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In the following text, after Ephesians 4.1, Paul exhorts his readers to live in such a way that is worthy of this calling. It is, in a sense, worthy of the redemption that they have in Christ through faith. In other words, it is a life that is consistent with what they claim to believe. Listen to some examples. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4 once again. Now then, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And by the way, love doesn't mean affirming what people believe. Loving them means telling them the truth in a way that is loving and compassionate and kind and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love isn't telling everybody that their sin is okay because Jesus said it isn't. Again, we said last week or a couple weeks ago, people don't like any longer to be commanded. But God's commandments are still true. He goes on and he says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you and me were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Live that way. Ephesians 5, again, verses 15 and 18 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil, not sunny and rosy and wonderful. They're terrible. It's scary out there. It's evil out there. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Then Ephesians 5 verse 21 down through 6, 9 we won't read all those verses but again Paul talks about living wisely within the family context. It is a war in which, a spiritual war in which we are called to obey God. It is going to be a fight, conflict, opposition. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You better be ready. I love what John MacArthur said commenting on these verses. He said this. I'm going to quote him for two or three sentences. John MacArthur wrote this. He said, a Christian 
who no longer has to struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is a Christian who has either fallen into sin or into complacency. A Christian who has no conflict is a Christian who has retreated from the front lines of service. End quote. That is fantastic. Unfortunately, it's true. So the question for us this morning is, how do we live Ephesians 4.1 in a fallen world? How do we do it? Well, I'm going to give you today, this morning, and our time together, four necessary requirements for surviving the spiritual battle that you are facing in your life. And I'm facing it too. Let me give you number one, found in verse 10. Notice what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I've already commented about the word finally. And as Paul is bringing this book and this chapter to an end, he gives us this first requirement, and it is to be strong. One of the reasons that this passage has been on my mind, in fact, was in the study of the life of David when in 1 Kings chapter 2, we find, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son saying, I am about to go the way of the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, we find these words, be strong and courageous, do not fear or be in dread of them. This is Moses speaking to the people, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and he said to him, in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and be courageous. Why? Because you're going into a fight, Joshua. You're going into warfare, Joshua. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, we find this, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. One more. Zechariah 10, 12. I will, listen to this, I love this. Zechariah 10, 12. This is the Lord speaking. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Be strong. This word is used throughout Scripture, or this idea is used throughout Scripture to be strong, and it's a very simple command. It's stated very simply. It is simply the commandment, be strong. The Greek word is endunmao. It means to endure with strength. But here's the beauty of, I love the Greek language. It is so more, far more specific than English. The Greek text here, the tense of the verb, okay, I don't want to lose you. This isn't English class, but it matters. The tense of the verb, the verb is a command, be strong. The commandment is passive. Do you remember from English what that means? It means if I hit the ball, it is something I did. I hit it. If my wife hits me with a ball, I didn't do it. I might have done something to deserve it. But uh, she hit me with a ball. She threw a ball and it hit me accidentally. I was passive. I didn't get hit by it. 
When God says, be strong, we could translate it this way, be strengthened in the Lord. Allow him to strengthen you. You don't have the ability to strengthen yourself. You lack that capability. You're flesh and blood. You're human. You're frail. You're weak. But God Almighty, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who created you and loves you, he has almighty power to strengthen you. Be strengthened. Be strong in the Lord. And he is the actor. He is the one who strengthens you. I love it. I get excited about that. The passive verb, again, could be, arguably should be translated, be made strengthened, be made strong. In fact, what's interesting about it in Ephesians 3.16, Paul wrote this, he said, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. It's a different Greek word that is translated as be strengthened. I won't get into the weeds of that, but it's another passive And in that Hebrew, or excuse me, Hebrew, now we're talking Hebrew, um, in that English translation, the ESV, to be strengthened, and that is a passive tense. It is also something that happens to us. In Acts chapter 9, verse 32, right after Paul becomes a believer, we find these words, but then Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. There, it is the same Greek word, endun amao. It is also passive. As a brand new believer, Paul experienced not only redemption, but he experienced the Holy Spirit strengthening him, empowering him. Part of our problem today, and it's probably always been true, is we try to do the Christian life in our own strength and wisdom and ability. You can't. And you cannot fight the spiritual warfare that is raging in your heart and outside those doors this morning in your own strength. I started thinking about this. Why am I so exhausted? Because I'm tired. I try too often to do it in my own strength. It's so easy, isn't it? We want to insert something like this. Be strong in yourself. That's what we wish it said. Be strong in your wisdom. Be strong in your ability. You're going to fail every time if we live like that. And that's how we try. He says, be strengthened in the Lord. We are incapable of strengthening ourselves. Now, we don't have time, for sake of time this morning, to look at this But I would urge you later today, look at Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20, that reminds us of the power of God. In Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19, let me just read a couple of those verses. According to the riches of his glories, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, strengthened in God, strengthened in the power of the Lord. So not only do we need to be strong, but number two, we need to be prepared. 
Notice verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Not only do we need to be strong, again, strengthened by God, not ourselves, but we need to be prepared. Preparation is essential for living a life, as Paul describes it in Ephesians, a life of faithfulness that we need to be prepared. If you are living unprepared for this battle, you are simply going to be easy prey. Paul says that we are to put on the armor of God. By the way, this teaching is very consistent with what Paul said in Ephesians 4.24 when he said, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and in true righteousness and in holiness. Putting on the new self is in a sense doning yourself in the armor of God. The command again is very simple, to put this on. It's the Greek word enduo. I like the literal definition of this word I got from a Greek uh, dictionary. It said, to sink into clothing. I love that. To sink into clothing, to clothe oneself. Now, not to bore you, again, with grammar. I like grammar. I like grammar in school. I like English grammar. I love Greek grammar. I just confused some of you. Here, grammar matters again. This is an aorist term. Aorist means punctiliar, fancy word for point in time. You put this on. Guess how many times you put it on? One time. You put on, the picture is, you put on the armor of God and you never take it off. Never. You sleep in it. You eat in it. You go out with your friends in it. You wear this all the time. I have right now, today, I'm confident it's still there. Hanging in my closet is my doctoral regalia. The reason I got a doctorate, by the way, is so I can wear the really funny looking hat. I love that. Actually, the church, some of you were gracious enough to help me purchase said regalia. And I look at that, and I pull it out once a year. On graduation night, I will, Lord willing, in May, I will stand here dressed funny in a weird gown and a funny-looking hat and deliver a graduation speech. Then I will go home, I will unzip it, I will put it in the nice cover that I have for it, put it back in my closet, and I will wear it again the following May, Lord willing. Now, I would look pretty weird walking around with that on. The hat's pretty cool, but the rest of it's kind of weird. But that's often how we view the armor of God. It spends far more time hidden in the back of our closet than it does being put on our, on our, on our bodies spiritually. We take it out when we think we might need it. We take it out on occasion. We take it out when we are maybe going to go over and talk to an unsaved neighbor or we're going to talk to a coworker that maybe gives us grief over our faith. Then maybe we think about the armor of God and we think about being prepared for the spiritual battle in which we face. And yet the picture here is put 
this on. It is a matter of life or death for you because it's scary out there. It is a battle out there. It is a spiritual warfare that you are fighting. Now, the word armor is not a really a fancy word. I don't have any fancy information on the Greek word in behind that English translation. But let me just read for you what it included. A shield, a sword, a lance, a helmet, greaves, which are the things that cover your shins, and a breastplate. So putting on this, notice, entire armor of God. It means to be completely armored. You cannot leave any of this armor out because you need all of it. Yesterday was an exciting day for the Knowles family. Our oldest son jumped out of an airplane. It was cool. I was a little upset that he didn't tell us about it until he was already signed up and had a reservation. We would have jumped with him. Imagine you go to the skydiving place and you're going to, it's a tandem jump, so you're going to be attached to a guy who, Lord willing, knows what he or she is doing. And the guy said to a guy, uh, the, one of the guys said to a person next to us that went in the group before Jonathan and said, yeah, I'm the guy who's going to push you out of an airplane today. And imagine if you are in line and you're getting into the plane and the guy you're going to be strapped onto in just a moment, you see on his back that he has his goggles, he has his helmet, he's got his, uh, you know, all this, the, 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 um, the braces and stuff that they need, all those things are in place, but there's no parachute on his back. Hey, uh, didn't you, like, forget something? Oh, no, it's fine. We don't need all of it. We don't need all the equipment. We can just jump out with most of it. We can just jump out of the airplane with some of it. How's that going to go? And yet in our spiritual warfare that we fight each and every day, we are jumping out our front door with none of our armor on. And is it any wonder you're getting splattered all over the street spiritually and you can't stand and you can't speak and you are absolutely becoming annihilated by our culture? You're not prepared for the fight. Paul says, put on the entire armor of God. Now, this is curious to me. We'll talk more about this next week. At the historical moment in which the apostle Paul penned this letter, it is likely that he was chained to a Roman soldier. For years, the apostle Paul got to know the soldiers and centurions of Rome pretty well. And they weren't having coffee together. They weren't drinking lattes together. It's likely, it's possible that the Holy Spirit of God uses this imagery of a Roman soldier to inspire under inspiration of, script, uh, uh, other inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen this with a Roman soldier in mind. And I know that's popular, I know that's cool, and maybe there's something to it, but I would say there's something greater than that to this. Oh, that's possible. Maybe the imagery is borrowed from a Roman soldier. I would suggest to you that this imagery is drawn from the Old Testament itself. In fact, we'll talk more about this next week, the armor that is described is the armor that has already been worn by God and the Messiah. Let me read a few verses for you. Isaiah 59, verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. In this text, God is pictured as a fully equipped warrior who is about to vindicate his people. 
In Isaiah chapter 11, we find these words. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Yeah, maybe Paul is saying to the soldier, yeah, you got some cool armor, man. Maybe. Sure, imagery works. But I would suggest to you that the Apostle Paul is sitting there thinking about God and how God pictured himself in the Old Testament and the imagery that the Old Testament gives us of this righteous warrior that is defending his people and defending righteousness. Now, you're free to disagree with that, but I would strongly suggest that this armor is given to us, this picture primarily drawn from the Old Testament. This armor, by the way, empowers us to stand. We'll talk more about this word stand in a moment, but he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And you're going to notice that word, by the way, it comes up several times. I'll highlight that word a little bit more in a moment, but it's histeme is the word. And here it is used in a military context, which means to hold your position. Don't defend, or excuse me, don't lose your position. Defend your position. Stand strong. You need the armor of God to stand your position. Why? Because you are fighting, the text says, against the schemes of the devil. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Just answer it in your own heart. Do you believe the devil is real? Do you? I heard David Platt say one time, very wisely, he said, Christians don't believe in hell. He said, if they really believed in hell, if they really believed in the devil, they'd be telling people about Jesus Christ. If we really believe that hell is a real place, and I do, that we would, and by the way, David Platt said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them that hell is real? How much, David Platt argued, do you have to hate someone to not tell them that the devil is real? My friend, Satan is alive and well today. Now, let's not give ourselves too much credit and think you're such a hot shot that the devil is chasing you around individually and he's after you and the devil made me do it. Please scratch that from your vocabulary. But he is a very, very real being with very, very real influence over our culture if you do not believe that this culture is blinded to the truth of god's word and the truth of god's holiness you really are asleep when people look into the camera of a television crew and say some of the nonsense that comes out of their mouths i sit there and say the devil has them deceived Because Paul says that you are fighting against the devil and not just him. You are fighting against his schemes. The Greek word is going to sound familiar to you in this case, methodonia. It is where we get our English word method from. This word in Greek means cunning arts. 
deceit, craftiness, trickery, and deception. This word was used to describe a wild animal that was stalking its prey. We were watching the other night uh, America's Funniest Videos. And there's this bird, like, walking around, having a great time in some tall grass. And the bird takes off, and this, was it a cheetah, wasn't it? A cheetah or a tiger, some big cat, one of those big cats. This thing jumped, like, six feet in the air. Missed the bird, it, but, it, like, I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? And I was thinking about the schemes of the devil when I saw that. He's hiding in the tall grass. Him and his minions just watching. And by the way, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. But ever since the fall of mankind, Satan has had the opportunity now for thousands of years to watch human behavior. And he knows what's going to trip you up. He knows, more importantly, what individually is going to trip you up. He knows the bait that would hook you. He knows the bait that would sink you. He's not a fool. He's not fiction. He doesn't wear a funny red suit with a pitchfork and a funny-looking tail and weird horns. But he's very real. And Paul says, you are fighting against an enemy that is powerful and he is scheming and he wants to destroy your life and he wants to destroy your family. And as John MacArthur wisely said, if you are not facing spiritual conflict, you have already retreated. You have already run for the hills. I remember when I committed to the Lord to go to seminary, it was like I had a bullseye drawn on my back. I'd never experienced spiritual warfare like that before. So Paul says, you need this armor. You have to wear it. It has to be put on. You need to give no opportunity to the devil. You need to stand strong because this is a spiritual battle for your fight. Now, what is interesting about that, before we wrap this up this morning... Is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through verse 23, Christ has already defeated the forces of evil. Therefore, we don't need to fear Satan. This does not, however, mean that the evil forces do not have sway over people living in this age. Here's an encouragement for you. We are not called to win the victory over Satan. The victory has already been won by the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. But we have been called to stand strong and to defend God's word. Paul said this in Colossians, he said, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us in its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's beaten. He's an enemy that cannot win but he's still fighting for you and for me we, we were last spring some of the teachers heard this illustration already but last spring we were down at the at the greenville zoo in south carolina 
And we were walking around, it was me and my wife and our youngest son, we're walking around, and we come to the lion's den. It's kind of a warm day. These bums are sleeping up on the hill. I want to see them walking around, man. I want to see lions in action. So I said what I think every little boy would say to his wife or to his friends. I said, and I quote, man, I wish I had a BB gun right now. And Michelle said, why? Why? I'm going to sting him on the tail. Why would you do that? I want to see him jump up. I want to see him angry. I want to see him mad. I want to see him charge right at me. That seems a little crazy. I had a thick piece of glass in front of me. He can't touch me. I think about that lion laying on that dusty hill, me wanting to shoot him with a BB gun, thinking Satan can roar and he can cause all kinds of havoc, but he can't touch me. He can tempt me, he does, but he can never destroy me. He can't take my salvation from me. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for my sin. He can't take that from me. Satan can cause havoc in my life, that's true. But even if he worked out a plan and took my life, I spend eternity with my creator. He can't take that from me. He's a defeated enemy. And like that glass that stood between me and the sleeping lion, you need the armor of God on your life to protect you because as it's said elsewhere in the New Testament that Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Will he catch you unprepared? Will he catch you resting in your own strength? Living in this age, we're in what theologians call the already but not yet stage. Devil, the devil is defeated. That's true. However, Job and other places tell us that Satan has very real influence over this world. But there is coming a day in Revelation chapter 20 in which Satan will be bound for a literal 1,000 years. And Satan will be ultimately defeated and cast off. And us, those who know Christ as their Savior, will enjoy God for all of eternity. He's a defeated foe, but nonetheless, he is a foe that we must, in the next verse, wrestle with. But we will leave that for next Sunday. But for now, I urge you, I plead with you, allow the Lord to strengthen you, put on the whole armor of God so that you can, what Paul said, stand in this wicked, confused, debauched culture in which we live so that God can use you for his wondrous glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to share these couple of verses. God, how we how we pray today that we would be mindful of the realities that our enemy is real. The battle is real. I think if we're honest, we don't have to look very long and very hard into our own hearts to know that within us there are temptations that we are particularly prone to. And God, may we be reminded of the importance of putting on the armor keeping it on, being ready for the battle, being ready to stand our ground. And God, may we also be reminded this morning that we are 
living in an age in which we must also stand against the culture in which we live. That's always been true. But it seems today in our world where people have seemingly become blinded to any form of truth. God, may we be, as your word says, salt and light in this fallen world. And may we never fall into the temptations that come at us and, and run because it's easier. Hide in our huts because it's easier than fighting, easier than standing. God, may we never retreat. God, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that is without Christ, they are without knowledge of salvation, that they would take what they have heard today about Satan, about hell, about eternity, about what a true Christian is. It's about faith in Christ alone for our redemption, that maybe if there's someone here today that has never believed that, this would be the day that they would surrender their hearts to you and believe. I pray for Christians this morning. Maybe there are some here today that are losing the battle and they know it. And they're losing in a big way. God, I pray that through our time together this morning, they would be encouraged to repent of their sin and encouraged to rebuild perhaps a relationship with you that has been broken maybe for some time. God, whatever it may be on whatever, whoever heart you're working in this morning, may we respond as you lead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to sing a song of response. Again, you can come to the front and pray if that's something you would like to do. Pray where you are. Uh, if you want to talk to someone, I'll remain here at the front as we sing. I'd like to sing that third verse again of Oh Praise the Name that talks about the victory that our Savior's already won and that victorious power that defeated sin and death is the same power that He Christ makes available to us in our lives. Let's stand as we sing, Then on the third at break of dawn. Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh, Praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great week. You are dismissed.